scripture reading this morning. If you remember, uh, we're in a uh, sermon series from which book? Acts, yes. Uh, so, for the last two Sundays, uh, we've looked at the book of Acts. Uh, last Sunday, my uh, friend Josh came and spoke about the early church in Acts 2. And so, uh, technically, we're going to talk about Acts uh, 6 and 7, but our scripture reading this morning is from Acts 7, uh, starting with verse 54 and going through chapter 8, verse 1. And it says this, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All right, so we are looking at uh, what the church is meant to be. Uh, summer heat, the acts of the Holy Spirit, what we are intended to be about. And uh, we've talked so far, we've covered only a couple of chapters in Acts, and so we're skipping ahead a little bit uh, because we only have eight weeks. And so uh, we got to cover the basics as much as possible uh, this summer. It, honestly, this series just kind of fit and made sense as we are uh, getting ready to launch out and plant uh, and, uh, and to look at the church and what we ought to be about. And so Last week, we kind of looked at in, uh, what the church is to be about inside the church, and we read about the early church in Acts chapter 2, and, and, uh, and Josh shared with us what that looks like. And so this week, uh, we're looking at more of what does it mean for the church to be lived out, uh, because as you, as you read in that last verse of this scripture reading, the church uh, was only able to stay together in that one location for a short amount of time. Uh, it was not very long that the persecution breaks out and they had to scatter, uh, which ends up being one of the coolest parts of the church is because the church, as the people ran, the church went with them, <laughs> right? A lot of times we think, man, if, if this building were closed up next week, what would happen to the church, right? Because we, we are so ingrained in our minds that, that the church is, has to do with the building somehow. And yet the church in the book of Acts is all about the people, Right? And so this persecution breaks out and the people scatter. And because the people scatter, the church scatters. The people take church with them. But before that happens, we have this story of Stephen. Stephen is this great guy. Uh, he's chosen uh, to be one of the helpers for the apostles. And uh, it says that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit in our reading today. And earlier on in Acts chapter 6, it says, Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power full of God's grace and power. Uh, now, let me tell you, grace and power, I think, uh, are required to go hand in hand. <laughs> and let me tell you why. I, I think I can name people in my life who are full of grace, but got no power. <laughs> and I got plenty of people in my life who I would say are, are full of power. They have the power of the Holy Spirit, but they got no grace, <laughs> right? These two things, grace and power, have to go hand in hand. And especially if you only got power, you're really in trouble, 
because power is so easy to corrupt us. And so it says that he is full of the Holy Spirit, and because he's full of the Holy Spirit, he has grace and power, and it says he's doing miracles in Acts chapter 6. It says he performed great wonders and signs among the people, and so opposition arose. Interesting, isn't it? He's out there changing people's lives, and opposition arises, and his opposition, it says, comes from, you guessed it, the synagogue. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it that the people who are most working for kingdom stuff find themselves in the most trouble at church? <laughs> now, it shouldn't be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. But certainly, when you read the Gospels, Jesus always got in trouble with which group? The synagogue, right? <laughs> The people who are supposed to be religious, the people who are supposed to be following God with all their hearts, these are the people that Jesus had the most issues with. In fact, if you read your Gospels, never once do you find a place where Jesus is upset with somebody outside the synagogue. Never once does Jesus see somebody struggling in their sin, struggling to make sense of life, and he says, shame on you. Instead, what we find is Jesus constantly saying shame on you to the people who should have known better. To the people who should have known that God is all about the grace and the power. And so Stephen, he's out there changing people's lives and the synagogue rises up against him. And the, most, the coolest part about Stephen's story, I think, is it says this in, verse, in Acts 6.10. It says, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So Stephen, Stephen's doing these great works of power and changing people's lives. And it says that they tried their hardest to stand against him. They tried their hardest to come against Stephen and they couldn't do anything. <laughs> because at the end of the day, the truth, the truth, scripture says, sets us free. <laughs> and the truth was that Stephen was a man of God. Stephen had this thing figured out. And so what they do instead is they go, well, we can't catch him in the truth. So we'll go and lie about him. And so they begin to spread these lies that Stephen had, had blasphemed, that he had said things that were illegal that he shouldn't have said. And he, they eventually bring him up before the authorities in the church. And Stephen gives what I think is one of the greatest speeches in the whole New Testament. Stephen stands and he says, look, and he starts naming people. He says, Abraham, Joseph, Moses. He says, is there a single prophet in the Old Testament? Is there a single prophet that has ever come to Israel that actually got treated well? <laughs> he says, you guys have taken the prophets of God and beaten them to smithereens over and over and over again. So is it any surprise that you're not a huge fan of me? <laughs> or that you're not a fan of Jesus who, who you, you crucified, by the way? <laughs> See, Stephen stands before this group as, as, he's, as he knows. He knows that what he's about to say, what is about to happen to him is not going to be good. right? Because these are the same people, if you remember, that wanted to take the woman caught in adultery and stone her in front of Jesus. He knows that when you get on the wrong side of religious people, you don't come out the other side real nice. And yet he stands in those moments and he says... I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And so then we find these verses we read today where, where it says that they were riled up. That Stephen, what Stephen said, they don't want to hear it, right? Because these are, these are people who are not open to the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. When they don't hear it, they get ticked off. And so Stephen, 
is chased out of town. I, the picture here actually cracks me up. If you, if you look at this in chapter 7, it says, They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. Right? So he's talking, and it's like they're small children. right? Because they go, ah! I don't want to hear what you have to say. They literally cover their ears, they yell, and they rush him out of town. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> What a picture, what a picture of the religious group in Jesus' time. And yet, what a picture sometimes of us. What a picture sometimes of us. We don't want to hear the truth because sometimes the truth hurts a little bit. Because the truth, it says, it says the truth will set us free, but that doesn't mean the truth isn't going to sting a little. Because the truth, according to the gospel, is that we are all sinners, that we all fall short, that we all have work to do. And that truth is much harder to digest than to think that, that I've got it figured out and it's those guys over there somewhere that need the help. <laughs> That's what we want the truth to be. And so Stephen stands up full of the Holy Spirit, of grace and power. And I would even say he stands up full of boldness. And I think, I think being bold is sort of misunderstood in the church. A lot of times what we think of as being bold uh, is not actually bold. <laughs> and what I mean by that is this. <coughs> there are a lot of pastors and church leaders and, uh, and, and religious leaders out there who believe they're being bold by standing and saying certain things, right? Just a few weeks ago, there was a, a well-known pastor online who made the comment that you can't vote a certain way and be a Christian. <laughs> That's not how it works at all, right? That's not how faith works at all. Your faith is not connected even remotely to your politics. Or the bare minimum, your faith should not be informed by your politics. Your politics should be informed by your faith. Right? So, so we think that we're being bold when we stand up and say these things, right? There are people who think they're being bold when they go and they picket other people's funerals. Okay? That's not bold. That's dumb. Okay? What it means to be bold in, in Jesus... Jesus starts his ministry with the perfect picture of what it means to be bold. And here's, here's what it says. In Luke chapter 4, he goes into the synagogue, and he stands up before all of these religious people. And he, he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus does this really fun, bold thing, and he just goes and he sits down. <laughs> See, we think of boldness as, as people who get up and they yell at other people, and they, they, they lay down the law, and they, you know, they, down comes the hammer. But in the Gospels, the boldness that Jesus exemplifies and the boldness that Stephen exemplifies in this story is the boldness to go against our culture. A boldness to stand for people who can't stand for themselves. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To offer sight to the blind. That's what boldness looks like. Boldness looks like Stephen, who at the end of his life, he is, I mean, you remember, being stoned is literally people picking up big stones and heaving them at you until you die, right? Stephen is being stoned to death, and his final prayer, his final prayer is, forgive them. 
See, boldness, boldness looks a lot more gentle than most of us think. <laughs> boldness is the, the capability to stand for somebody else, even when we don't want to, even when they do things that we don't really like. <laughs> boldness is our ability to stand up when we need to stand up and to sit down when we need to sit down. Because there are a lot of topics, friends, that we need to stand up for. Jesus specifically lists them out in his, in his things, right? He says the poor, the needy, the blind, right? The bold churches are not the ones on Facebook screaming at people about what they're doing. The bold churches are the ones who are doing amazing, creative things to make sure that people's needs are met. Sometimes those needs are, are physical needs. We're making sure that people are fed, that they have a place to, to, to live and to call home. Sometimes it's spiritual needs, and we're praying for people, right? These are the things that require boldness in our culture. Our culture right now, our society, is one where yelling at each other is actually the easy answer because that's what everybody else is doing. That's what everybody outside the church is doing, right? If, if we disagree on one thing, we must disagree on everything. And so we yell at each other across this, this invisible fence that we build, we yell across and we say, shame on you. But the boldness of Stephen is even in that moment when he knows he's right, when he knows he's full of the Holy Spirit, when he knows that what he's teaching is the right thing, even in that moment, Stephen prays for the people who murdered him. See, there's boldness. Boldness in the church looks a lot different than boldness anywhere else. And so, so what we have to ask ourselves when we read this story of Stephen is, are we more like Stephen's boldness, or are we more like the boldness that the, that the synagogue thought they had? Because I'm sure the synagogue thought they were being bold, and they're like, we're going to stand for truth. This guy is teaching stuff we don't like, we're going to get rid of him, right? They thought they were being bold. And at the end of the day, what they were doing was they were killing what God was doing, <laughs> And so, so we have to ask ourselves in these stories, because remember, we've been trying to stress that we're not always the hero in every Bible story, right? So in this story, do we feel like our lives are more like Stephen, where if somebody was trying to murder us, we would be praying for them? Which, if you remember, is the biblical example of Jesus, right, who said to pray for your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. Or are we more like that religious group that points the finger, that throws the stones, and which boldness do we actually see Jesus exhibit? Because I can't, in all my times I've read through the Gospels, I can never seem to find a place where Jesus is the one throwing the stones. The boldness of Jesus was to be bold in his gentleness, to be bold in his love for people. Boldness requires us to do something. But the boldness that the church ought to be standing up for, the boldness that we ought to be inhabiting, is the boldness to be more like Jesus. When the world shows us a very different approach than what Jesus shows us, to choose the way of Jesus, that's boldness. And so, so the reason that I saved our prayer time for the end uh, is, is very simple. I, I think that uh, praying is a bold act. Because most of the people outside of this space, if you tell them that, you're, that you pray, 
they probably look at you like you're nuts. Right? You talk to some invisible dude somewhere. You hope he's there, right? But here's the thing. When Jesus talks about setting the oppressed free, proclaiming the Lord's favor, I think that starts in prayer. I think it starts with us going to God and say, God, I don't know how to do that. Right? Because at the end of the day, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like to set the prisoner free. But I know somebody who does. <laughs> and so this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me, to, to pray boldly. <laughs> that God, not just, not just those general prayers of like, God, heal my family, God, you know, but to pray boldly. To say, God, I know, I know you're good and I, you're, I know you're going to work. And so what I want you to do is I'm going to pray. And I want you to just think of someone in your head right now that needs to be set free. Somebody who is, who is blind and needs to be able to see. Somebody who needs to know that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Because I know that all of you have somebody in your life who could use something miraculous, something bold to happen on this day. And I want you to think of that person as we pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the example of Stephen and of Jesus. God, that you redefine what boldness looks like in our lives. Because the easiest answer for us a lot of times is to, to push people off, to not get involved, to, to say, ah, they brought it on themselves. But the bold thing to do, the bold thing that Stephen does and that, that, that Jesus does, is to lift people up, to seek their healing and restoration, to seek their freedom, to forgive. Boldness looks a lot gentler than we thought. So teach us in these moments, God, to live in your boldness. Not the boldness of the world, God, but in the boldness that you give us. And we lift up now in this moment those people that we're thinking of that need to be set free, the blind who need their sight. God, those who've been living in, in depression and frustration and they don't know that this is the year of the Lord's favor. We lift up our friends and our family to you now in this moment, God, and we ask for something miraculous to happen in their lives. Because we believe that prayer is a bold act and that you are a bold God who does bold things in people's lives. So God, set our friends and family free this morning. And we offer ourselves to you, God, because if we're honest, we've been held captive by things too. We've got ideas that, that don't look anything like Jesus. So we ask, God, that you would set us free from our own prisons, the ones that we know about and the ones that we don't. Set us free this morning, God, and proclaim your favor over us as we try to live our lives boldly for you, meeting the needs of our neighbors, praying for the sick, forgiving those who persecute us. God, fill us with your boldness. In Jesus' name we pray.